Hello, friends, and welcome back to We've Got Worm, the worm podcast read-through with me, Matt Freeman, and my co-host, Scott Daly. Scott, how are we doing this week? How far do we get? I'm doing really good, Matt. We today are talking about ARC 2 Insinuation. Um, this is longer than the first one, right? Yeah, this is longer. This is uh, about half again as long, I think, and I think the next one is substantially longer. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're it's, it's a good thing it starts out this way because it gives us some uh, some uh, runway to uh, get, get our wheels spinning. Yeah, so um, that, that's that long story that everyone keeps telling me about. I mean, so far, it's not been bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we were glancing over the statistics and saw that one of the arcs is almost 10,000 words, um, which is like a novel. I think you mean so, 100,000. Uh, yes, that is what I mean, 100,000. That's correct. That's like a novel. So, but we're not there yet. This is just arc two insinuation. Um, so as we begin, I wanted to say that uh, we got some incredible feedback, some fantastic feedback uh, over the last week regarding the first episode. So yeah, we're definitely we good. Yeah, it was really encouraging. Um, we're really, we're definitely going to be moving forward with this series and we're going to be aiming for a weekly episode, uh, with about one arc per episode on the basis of how, how dense this is to be released on Wednesdays. Um, uh, Scott, we got some really good, um, like specific feedback regarding the format and, mm -hmm. and some, some suggestions. Um, Reddit user code Zeta suggested that I need to let you talk more. And I think that's fair <laughs> because. Um, I, I mean, if, if you're listening to this, odds are you, you either know the story or, or just, I think listening to summarizing is not as interesting as listening to discussion. So I'm going to be hedging back a little on the discussion, I'm rather on the summary, and we're going to be doing a bit more back and forth discussion. Yeah. And, you know, I will support any person saying that I need to talk more because, uh, I like to talk. So, yeah, well, I like to talk to you, but I'm capable of, um, <laughs> reining myself in, uh, Reddit user the Venom Rex pointed out that we didn't really get into the themes of the story last week, and I had a convoluted justification for why this was actually involving not wanting to accidentally spoil you on anything. Like, for example, I didn't want to admit that bullying was a major theme of the story because I was like, well, if I let him know that, then he'll know where the story's going. But on reflection, I think that was silly. Um, so there's no harm in keeping track of the themes and Especially if, especially if you're picking up on them, which you you are, you, you were the one talking about the bullying. So, yeah, and I think in retrospect, I kind of like that we didn't really jump into bullying really detailed last week, though, because I think there's a lot more of it that goes on in in this section, and I'm sure it'll continue throughout the series. But I think it feels like the events that happen in this arc set the scene for let's have a talk about bullying. So. I, I, I understand that, and I agree that we need, like, I tend to focus on character and character arcs and not, and, and quickly talk over themes. So I think it's true that we need to, to focus on theme a little bit more. So I think, I think we're going to do that this week. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, the context is more fitting this week. Uh, user overpowered ginger pointed out uh, that this is a story about people and the superpowers are icing on the cake. And um, I really agree, even though I also enjoy talking about superpowers and thinking about superpowers. Um, uh, but, but he's right. He or she is right. That uh, what makes this a great story is the characters. Um, it, would, it would only be a good story without the characters. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point. And I, I think, I think that's any good 
really like the best writing. That's the thing, right? Is that the situations and the the uh, events are really just a way to tell something about character. Right. And um, if you don't have that, then you don't really have a story. So I completely agree. Overpowered Ginger. Um, this is a story about characters, and I could tell that. And I've only read one. 60th <laughs> i mean like one 100th i don't know yeah something in that range i think uh user predictablicious pointed out that we should pay attention to the unreliable narrator aspect of taylor's narration which i'm embarrassed to admit i never fully appreciated until i started this reread um so i really have to thank them for drawing my attention to that because we actually did talk about that last week and uh, it's going to become even more salient this week. Um, yeah, and, and I think that was something that, uh, that that's really changed my perspective on the story, actually, the extent to which uh, to which I took Taylor's opinions as fact on the first time around. And this time it's more like, well, she's a teenager and, and maybe a bit biased and her thoughts are not necessarily reliable. Yeah, and I'm really glad we got this comment, too, because... Um, you definitely see that in, in this arc in particular. Um, and I don't know if I had been, I might've caught it. I hindsight's 2020, but, um, the fact that I had this comment in my head as I was reading through arc two, um, really let me like, it, it stood out more to me. So, so thanks very much for this comment. This is the exact kind of comments I hope we get that help me read better. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. really appreciate that. And finally, uh, Sammy on the webpage mentioned the closing line of the last arc uh, stated that Taylor's father dreamed of the ocean and and he just kind of wanted us to, to, he or she wanted us to keep our eye on this and see if, see if that developed anywhere and beyond, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just, uh, that is, I'm, I'm glad someone pointed that out because as I was listening through our podcast, I realized that that was something that I had written down to talk about that I didn't. Uh, get to i just think that's clear foreshadowing um and i will definitely be paying attention to that going forward um i have no idea where it's going to go but (laughs) um thanks for pointing that out sammy yeah yeah that was awesome Uh, and then there was a large amount of generally encouraging feedback beyond that and we appreciate every bit of it um and uh, and with that uh, i think we're gonna go ahead no so i sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but i just i just wanted to say that you know, I was I was kind of nervous doing this thing because this was me intentionally jumping into this thing as ignorant as possible, and um, we were sharing it with all you people out there that clearly love this series and are very passionate about it. So I was kind of worried that like I was going to make myself look stupid or embarrass myself or um, be bringing up discussion points that have been brought up like a thousand times before, and everyone's like, "You're not being insightful here, Scott." Duh. Um, so to me, the positive feedback that we received was just. It was so great, and I just wanted to say we really appreciate that. We really appreciate you guys' passion um, for the series, and we hope that that translates to passion for us talking about it, uh, because we, I, I really enjoyed last week's episode. I think I'm going to enjoy this one, too. So thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, we, we can't overstate the, the, the positivity and the encouragement that we got from the feedback last week. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to move on to the discussion of insinuation. Uh, so th- this arc was much longer than the f- than the first arc, and I actually had to summarize my summary. So, um, <laughs> as we're going through, bear that in mind. Uh, so, as we begin, uh, we essentially pick up right where we left off. Taylor wakes up in the morning 
after her night of superheroing where she defeated Lung and she has breakfast with her dad and they chat. Uh, but she lies to him about what she was doing last night when he brings it up and she avoids opening up to him about her problems at school. And then she just kind of leaves. Um, so it's, it's essentially a, a discussion chapter between the two of them and we get to understand their relationship better. So how did you feel about this in general, Scott? Yeah, I, I like this a lot. Um, I think it's really cool that we we go right from um, a chapter in which we're in her father's point of view and we see how he describes himself, um, the type of person he thinks he is, and then we snap into this point of view where Taylor has a very specific and kind of mean uh, way of describing what her father looks like. Um, she says he's not what you call attractive. He is He's thin, he's got a weak chin, his hair's fallen out, um, and big glasses, and he kind of looks... Um, constantly bewildered. Like, it, it's it's really interesting to me because we got this vision as we were in, in his head last chapter. Like, he was talking about his rage issues, and I imagined quite a different looking person when reading his stuff. So to see her perspective on it um, was was interesting, and I, I think it reinforces how much I like those interlude chapters and getting to jump into someone else's head, uh, however briefly, is really advantageous to kind of figuring out um, how... Th- people look at things and how they perceive things in the story. Yeah, I think I think she perceives him very differently than how he perceives himself and he perceives her very differently than how she perceives herself and this is obviously part of the root of their failure to communicate here. Yeah, yeah. And and I also I really liked, you know, where Taylor draws the line as far as what she's okay with lying about and what she is still okay with lying about, but makes her feel bad. Um, like his, you know, there's moments where she says she feels like pangs of guilt as she lies, but it's only when like, it was very specific lie. Like I think the, the, the quote specifically where that was, she told him she was going for a run and she said, yes, she had her, uh, mace with her. And that was a lie because it was in her costume. And that's what made her feel guilty. Whereas the other lies like are just kind of lies of omission, leaving something out or kind of honesty by, technicality like um and and she doesn't seem as bothered with that kind of dishonesty um it's just when she has to directly lie to him yeah she's there's definitely um i mean it's interesting because she's doing i think what all teenagers do to some degree where they're kind of chafing and, and just trying to to live their own lives but also um she's she has she has a good relationship with him so she feels bad about it here and there um but also she's really good at justifying herself i think yeah, i think that's yeah. a general feature yeah. of her character absolutely yeah and i think that's that that's kind of revealed in this chapter and and i think it's starting to kind of see you know taylor's opinion towards authority in general um and we kind of got a hint of it in the first arc and this starts to reinforce it, and I think we're going to see it a lot more going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely the first example here where she just kind of shuts down and doesn't tell her dad anything at all, even though he's clearly offering to help. Yeah, yeah. And this is, like, I think why Wildbo is a good writer um, is because he can take a scene like this and he can do multiple things with the scene at the same time, right? So, like, in the scene, there's this throwaway conversation about how uh, Uber and Leet, two 
gamer-based superheroes, which the image of that <laughs> made me laugh, but um, have recruited some guy that used to work with Taylor's father. And it seems like this really weird, like, throwaway conversation, but it is doing things. It's First of all, it's teaching us about these two characters that are probably going to come into play later in the story, but it's also, like, showing a disconnect between her and her father, showing, like, how desperate he is to connect to her, that he, like, grabs on some information that he thinks she might like. Um, and just gives it to her and is, of course, completely shut down um, because it doesn't it doesn't serve to uh, start a conversation between the two of them at all. Right. right. And that's that's very good writing doing it that way, because because exposition, right? Exposition is boring. But if you can find a way to layer it into um, a different conversation where you don't actually realize that you're being uh, expounded to, um, that's that's good writing. Yeah. And one of my favorite things that Wildbow does uh, out of out of many things is that you you um when you're receiving new information in this kind of passive way, it may be foreshadowing for something that's going to happen, but it may also just be a tantalizing hint that the world is larger than these characters. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's really important. Like, you know, we, we've complained sometimes about how in, in Star Wars, like the first movies are great because you get the sense that there's this vast world beyond it. And then in the expanded universe, they make a book about every single thing that's in the background of the movies. And it <laughs> kind of kind of ruins the fact it kind of ruins the sense that there's a mystery. Um, and, and that there's like a vast scope to it. Um, so what Wildo does sometimes is he'll throw things in there that are that are almost just there to make you realize that there are things in the world that are beyond uh, the beyond what the characters are going to be grappling with. So I, and I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think we'll see that in this arc itself. I mean, not just in this section, but there's throwaway lines to other superhero organization and supervillain organizations that um, we don't haven't heard about or don't know about. But it does. It makes the world feel bigger and more lived in. Yep, exactly. So moving on to the next chapter, Taylor goes to school and uses the school computers. Uh, I think she's in the middle of class, actually, to search uh, parahumans online, which is, of course, there would be a, a, a parahumans, you know, wiki forum website like Reddit. She's searching for information about the supervillain villains she met last night. And, there, and she finds almost no information about them uh, except for bitch aka hellhound aka rachel lint who apparently her power is that she turns dogs into car-sized monsters um we learn a bit more about lung we we see that he's been terrorizing the city and press ganging the whole asian population into the abb so it actually makes him seem quite a bit worse than he seemed in the first uh in the yeah, first arc yeah <laughs> by learning this about him it's more like he's sort of a terrifying gang lord rather than just like a small-time thug and as she's looking at the website, she finds a message to Bug from TT asking to meet and surmises that this is uh, from Tattletail trying to contact her. Um, so this is a this was kind of background chapter. But how did you feel about it in general? Yeah, I mean, it's it's quick. It's world building. Um, I, I had nothing to complain about it. I like, I like the detail of the parahumans wiki. I just, I just like that it goes into that detail. Of course, there would be a way that you can explore and find information about superheroes, just like there would be if they were alive uh, and existed in our world. So these kind of details, you're right, just build this world and it it makes it really cool. Um, And I like that, that touch. Um, And and I'm going to like it even more 
later in the the arc when uh, we learn people are editing their own wiki pages to confuse people. I, I like that touch. Um, yeah, yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah. So the only thing I wanted to bring up here really isn't related to the section uh, specifically, but just that you know my. Uh, plan of attack for reading these things is I usually read through it once entirely and then I read slash listen to the uh, the podcast audiobook that exists um, to kind of so I can jot down notes as I'm reading um, and I did notice that there was a difference between what was recorded in the audiobook and what was printed on the page so I know we talked last week about um, the wild boat was going through and editing things so it seems like he has come back through at least these sections and made edits um, and, and I wouldn't have realized that had I not been listening to that, uh, that podcast project. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not listening, so I'm not able to detect the discrepancies, but, um, I, I'm definitely noticing more things this time through. I'm, I'm not quite sure if that's because it's my second time and thus I'm tuned for different things or if I'm actually reading different things. Um, yeah, but in any case, I thought this was an interesting chapter because I remember last week. Uh, you had said something along the lines of like the exposition is really well done because it's well integrated. And and this was closer to an exposition dump chapter in the sense that mm-hmm. in, in the sense that it's her reading things and you're just sort of getting the information. But I, I still like the framing device of like, oh, you're, you're learning that this world has like su- superhero websites. And it's just it's it's like a delightful enough bit of um, bit of world building that I don't care at all that it's kind of an info dump do you feel the same at all yeah yeah i agree i mean this is you're absolutely right this is exposition chapter um but it, it, the framing device keeps it interesting and it's it's better than just either taylor just relaying the information to us the reader or two people just having a conversation about it because not only is it giving us needed exposition but it's doing cool things and building the world and building the characters a little bit so um, yeah. yeah, I didn't mind it. Um, and, and I trust me when I say that I am a person who like hates exposition dumps. So the fact that I didn't mind this definitely says something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same. So moving on to chapter three, Taylor goes to her next class and she has this class with the, the bully Madison and Madison steals Taylor's homework and presents it as her own, uh, in, in the class presentation and the teacher, Mr. Gladly extends an offer to help to Taylor in private. Uh, but Taylor essentially thinks that help from authorities would just make the problem worse and has kind of a justification for it. And she turns down his help. Um, so, so th- this was interesting and this starts to show us how Taylor thinks about authority in some more detail. What do you think about that, Scott? Yeah. I mean, we saw it a little bit in the first arc that the way, like I, the funny thing about Taylor is she tells you how she feels about people just by how she describes how they look. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's very blatantly. And, and, and again, this could be just a wild both style of writing thing, or this could be very specifically we're so deep into Taylor's head that this is how that information is relayed. These are the things she thinks about when she sees people, but she describes gladly um, very negatively in the first chapter, um, the first arc, it's kind of reinforced again here. And I actually thought some of this, was a little repetitive on recharacterizing him. I don't know if that's changes in editing or what have you, but um, some of the same things were said about him that were said in the first arc. That's a very minor nitpick, but yeah, I mean, she, she does not like this guy and she doesn't like him for 
seemingly ridiculous reasons. Like it's like, oh, he's trying to be friendly with the students, um, and he legitimately um, is trying to help her out in the only way he knows how through through the system. And um, she just completely completely shuts him down. Um, and I, I think this is we get mention of an incident that happened earlier in the year. Um, I don't think anything else is said about it. I don't, I'm going to assume that goes somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a safe assumption. I think, um, yeah, the, it, it's, it's interesting because Taylor has some very convoluted, but I think believable justifications for turning down his help here. I mean, I, I definitely had a smattering of, of what you could characterize as bullying experiences. And I definitely remember that, it always seemed completely out of the question to tell any authority figure about it because I knew that just like Taylor says, they're not going to get like expelled. So all that means is I'm going to be stuck in the same situation with the person who's doing the whatever. And now they're going to hate me even more. So um, it's, this is her justification. And like, as an adult, with kids even i'm tempted to be like no of course you should tell your of course you should tell your parents of course you should tell the authorities they of course they can help but i can totally remember thinking exactly what taylor's thinking in this in this scene as she as she's like no don't don't bother doing anything you can't do anything to help me um very 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 teenagery and and understandable mentality yeah but i i think at least until next chapter you can't really blame him because like he as his authority role can only use the avenues that he has available to him. And you're right. The, the, the big issue with bullying, and I think we'll get into this a little more in a bit is that there's no real easy answer to how to stop it. Um, but um, he is kind of in a, in a situation where all he can do is with her blessing, report it or um, go through those formal channels. And you're right. That doesn't fix the problem, but what, what else can he do? Um, maybe notice her a bit more. I don't know. Like I I kind of feel bad for him in this situation too, because he's trying, like he's extending the olive branch to her and she's, she's batting it away. Right. It's not clear what she wants from him exactly because she's clearly resentful of him. Yeah. But then he offers to help and she says no. So, um, and she kind of, she wants him to help. Right. I I mean, but she just doesn't think he can. Yeah, let's. Why don't we move ahead to the next yeah, chapter because it kind of segues. It kind of segues into this yeah. discussion. So, so once she goes outside the classroom, and you know leaves Mister Gladly behind, a large group of girls, including Madison, Emma, and Sophia, at the core, surround Taylor and kind of corner her against the wall. Uh, so, as they're mocking her and just being horrible to her, she considers physically attacking them to get them to back down, but she kind of calculates that this would only make things worse. And then it wouldn't be viewed as standing up for herself. What would probably actually happen is the girls would like twist it to be a story about Taylor attacking them aggressively and getting her in much bigger trouble. Um, and it's interesting to me that Taylor sort of characterizes this as being a difference between uh, like a gender difference in bullying. Um, so one thing, Scott, you and I had 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 talked about at this point was is this Wildbo's opinion or is this Taylor's opinion? And I think that's an interesting question. Um, yeah. Because, because, yeah. because I don't actually have a good answer as to like, are there really such gender differences in bullying? I, I know that as a, as a male, I was definitely able to put a stop to some 
like attempted bullying by being physical, but I'm, I don't really have any insight into how that works with girls. Um, yeah. I think, you know, when I first read this, I, th- my first thought was this is wild bow making a statement, but the more I thought about it, the more it seemed like this is specifically something that Taylor herself thinks, because we were talking earlier about how Taylor, um, is, is very good at justifying something to herself, whether it's action or inaction. So, um, I read this as something that she thinks is true. I don't know, like from a, from an actual real world standpoint, if that's a true assumption. I mean, it seems like oversimplification. Like I'm sure there are guys that would get in a fight where, where one guy after getting punched would go run and twist a story to make him look like the victim, even though, even if he was instigating. So I don't think that's something you can literally draw at the sex line. Um, but it also makes a lot of sense for why Taylor herself might think that. Yeah. So the conclusion is that violence is the answer. Um, (laughs) So at the end of this bullying session, Emma uh, brings up that Taylor's mom is dead, which is how we find that out uh, as a weapon just to make her feel bad. Yeah. So fucked up. Which finally breaks Taylor's composure. Um, And uh, yeah. Yeah. It breaks her composure, but in a, it's not like a, I lose my shit and use my powers to, to, um, to rain terror on these girls. It's like literally just, she wasn't able to hide the fact that the things that were, they were doing were destroying her. Um, right. Yeah. She's, she's remarkable. Like the, probably the saddest thing about this. And, and I should mention that this comes across as very sad and like heartbreaking as you're reading it. But like the saddest part about it is how, it's clear that she's been dealing with this for a long time because she's like, yeah, yeah, they've, I've been cornered by a group of girls who were just treating me horrifically and like ripping things out of my hands. And I'm just kind of sitting here silently and taking it and trying to avoid showing any reaction because I know that's what they're after. And it's like, Oh my God, that's so heartbreaking that that, that you're in this position. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot to, I forgot to mention somewhere along the line that Mr. Gladly walks out of the classroom, sees what's happening and then just sadly walks away. And Taylor is Taylor's like, Oh, like internally in disbelief that he would do that. But she did just tell him not to intervene. So this is an interesting little tidbit there. Yeah. So this is where Gladly lost me though, because I understand like he reached out, she shut him away. So his reaction is to see her very clearly getting bullied and say, well, she didn't want my help. But also, you're a teacher, you're a position of authority, you have the ability to make a judgment call and say, despite someone's uh, outward feeling of, you can't help me, if you see people, like, bullying on a person, you have to step in. Like, you have to do it. Like, that's his job. So, I I get yeah. why he did it, but it's like, dude, you got, you're a teacher, you gotta, you gotta be better than that. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah. As a as a grown up, you just have to be the grown up. I think right. And this, I mean, but this all leads into Taylor's just general feeling that authority and authoritarian figures just let her down. Um, that she can't rely on them. That she is truly on her own in this whole thing, um, and that she's desperately reaching out to find someone that um, that will that will uh, support her and be there with her. Um, and she so far hasn't been able to find it. Yeah. 
And exactly. I, and I, like speaking about the, like this, the story and, and to, to follow up on what we said, we were going to talk about this thing thematically. So we're going to keep, keep track on that. You know, everything we've read so far can be seen as just a story about bullying. Right. Um, mm-hmm. From, you know, like you use superpowers as a way to express, um, you know, the power that some people have over each other and through bullying. And and I was thinking about it today and I really liked the idea of her powers as like a, a manifestation of how she feels her place in the world is that she feels like she's a, a bug underneath all these people that are just stepping on her and ignoring her and not considering her. And I think that's really poignant. Um, and I'm, I'm convinced that, that, that that's going to be where this story goes more. And I'm really looking forward to getting there. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely, I'm, I'm not going to give you any, any hints or, or indication, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm going to suggest that we keep paying attention to, to that type of thinking as we go forward. Yeah. Um, I, this is where I'm glad that we're not recording in the same room because I don't want to see like smirks on your face as I say things. Oh yeah. yeah. When, <laughs> when we're on, when we're on G chat, I'm very frequently just like, how do I respond to this without giving any indication of whether he's right? But anyway, um, moving on. Uh, so yes, Emma is horrible. And eventually uh, pretty much right after this, they steal her backpack. I think Sophia grabs her backpack and Taylor just just runs at that point, leaving behind her backpack and her books and, and everything. And she, and I, and I believe it's like not even the end of the day. So she's basically just, no, it's like, cause it was, it's lunchtime, right? Because that one yeah. class she had with gladly is, is right before lunchtime. So yeah, she yeah. skipped school again. Yeah. Right. And, and who knows how long this has been happening where she's basically just missing tons of school due to this bullying problem and not telling anyone about it. So yeah, moving on to the next chapter, Taylor just goes to the public library and she uses a computer at the library to respond to Tattletail's message, which, you know, she's decided to do because she's so emotional right now, basically. And then Tattletail quickly responds on the public forum to ask to meet her at the site of the lung fight and also hints that she knows that Taylor is at the library. Uh, so it's a pretty pretty short chapter, actually. It's essentially comprised of her kind of mental reaction to this bullying incident and then and then this back and forth exchange with Tattletail. And uh, of course, she's kind of freaked out by the whole idea that Tattletail knows where she is because she's trying to be all sneaky. So. Yeah, how yeah, did you feel about this? Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny because I, I like this on one level because it, she immediately leaves this situation where her former best friend just did this terrible thing to her and these people are awful and she has no one to turn to when she's all on her own. And her first reaction, no matter how ridiculous it is, is to reach out to literally the only person in her life that has extended any sort of um, need or want for her, um, which is happens to be people that are quote-unquote supervillains um that are the bad guys that she is supposed to be fighting against so like that's that's very much in line with taylor's psyche right now is that like she is so desperate that she's going to reach out to these people kind of regardless of the danger of it too um like i i I did want to say i really think it's funny that as soon as she finds out that uh that the person knows she's in the library her response is like was my computer hacked or something and this is like a world where superpowers exist so i'm kind of confused as to why your brain wouldn't just go oh she might have a power that lets her know that um but i think it kind of shows how how like 
desperate and reckless she's being um, by just formulating these plans seemingly without really thinking anything through and then just going through it. And she's still being some level of careful because she's not a stupid person, but um, she's willing to overlook dangers because she needs this interaction so badly. Yeah. I think some of her behavior in this chapter could also be plausibly explained by her getting two hours of sleep the previous night. <laughs> That's um, true. Yeah. Um, but part of me, part of me wonders if like, cause I know they mentioned that several times. They said, maybe it's just a lack of sleep or blah, blah, blah. But part of me thinks that's Taylor once again, rationalizing to herself. It's like, I'm behaving recklessly. Oh, it's just cause I'm tired. Um, yeah. or is it this or that? And, and her lack of, their seeming lack of awareness towards, uh, what her real subconscious motivations are. Yeah, that, that's a great that's a great way of phrasing it, that she has a lack of self-awareness. And that's not something that I believed about her the first time through, because her internal narration of her existence comes across as very strong. And it actually makes her very likable, because she's rarely, like, overtly self-pitying. Um, but, but she is actually in a really terrible place mentally. It, it's just like she's she's holding it together, you know? And, right. And that actually makes her admirable, but it's like, yeah, man, but you really need to kind of address the fact that you're in a terrible place right now, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and again, I think this is where the first person's perspective really aids in this kind of stuff, right? Because we're seeing Taylor's mind's eye, basically. So, like, we literally, as we're reading, see that she will refuse to think about the bad thing that just happens to her. Like, she actively avoids thinking about things that make her uncomfortable. So, we're literally actively seeing her survival mechanism in process as she copes with all the, the terrible things that are being done to her. And that's that's, like, that's why I think the decision was, let's do this first person, because we're in her brain. We are her yeah yeah and 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 while she's trying to sort of pretend to herself like like what those girls did doesn't bother her so much and she's going to get over it actions speak louder than words and her action is to go reach out to a gang of supervillains yeah exactly exactly so speaking of which in the next chapter 2.6 taylor decides that she's going to go to the meeting uh, because, well, she justifies it as, you know, she needs to do what she told Arms. She needs to help Arms Master. She's going to gather information about these villains so that she can she can help the good guys. She decides, though, that she's going to wear her armor and her and her mask because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't really know what's up yet. Um, and as she's heading to the meeting, we get a, we get like an understanding of the capacity and limitations of the sensory aspect of her power because she's she's approaching the building she's using her bugs to scout ahead and and it kind of says how like she she relies on kind of the spatial sense of the power to get a sense of where things are and it, it's it's like disorienting to rely on the bugs vision but she can do it and i think she can sort of hear through them but it's like weird or something i don't remember the detail exactly but it's interesting to get a picture of how it's not it's not really like a nice clean human sensory experience but it is useful to her yeah i think she said the hearing was basically like it, it was almost overpowering where it was just too much information. So she has to like turn it off most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the sense I got at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she goes up to the rooftop and the undersiders are there and they're all wearing their civilian clothes and they all get delightful introductions and they have delightful banter, which if, if we didn't point that out last week, I think that, one of Wildo's number one skills is delightful banter between characters. <laughs> um, they give her uh, a 
lunchbox, an Alexandria lunchbox full of money. And they're basically telling her to either take it as a token of goodwill or to accept it as her first paycheck as a member of their team. So they're, they're offering her a job. Um, yeah. So <laughs> this, uh, first of all, the example, once again, of Taylor using how she describes people as, um, a way of telling us how she feels about them because we get this, uh, this picture of what grew looks like. Um, and she, she wants this dude. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's very clear. Like she's like dressing him up and down. Um, it, it's really funny. Um, and she does not do the same to Regent at all. So yeah. I, I, I love, I love those kind of details like that. I mean, it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and simultaneously doesn't think to herself, like he's hot. She, it, it's just, it's just like every detail that she, that she thinks to point yeah. out is, is like, that's a super attractive choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I really, I really like how the money's given to her in this lunchbox. Um, just the, 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 the symbol of this, uh, kind of either a bribe or like hush money, um, being placed in the lunchbox that belongs to like a super famous, uh, superhero. Um, and like, I think, it, I think it said it was her favorite, um, yeah, Alexandria, said, her fa- yeah. favorite. And then, yeah. <laughs> The adorableness of her first reaction to being given this before she actually opens it is just like, is is it a is it a collectible? Like, I, it just made me laugh. Like, I think, you know, there's there's kind of a way we can forget that these are children still. I mean, they're teenagers, but they're they're very young, and it's like stuff like that that you remind is like, oh yeah, these are these are kids. Like this is this, and it's it's just funny. I like the detail. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Alexandria lunchbox line is, is one of my favorites. Um, so as she's talking to the undersiders, they reveal to her that she almost killed Lung, actually, uh, which is um, surprising to her and, and I think surprising to us, too, because we kind of had this sense that he has this healing factor. And But they basically explain that she bit him like an absurd number of times with black widows and he has like severe tissue necrosis over most of his body and specifically like will be sitting down to use the bathroom for some time. His dick fell off is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and, uh, which, which is, which obviously assuming he makes it through is going to make him a little bit disgruntled towards her. Yeah. Um, so remember, um, back at the beginning of last podcast where I talked about how I liked that, her power was seemingly weaker than what like a normal, like protagonist in a superhero story's power would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry to Taylor and I'm sorry to everyone that was listening. Cause damn, that's a, uh, you don't really think about it, right? You don't think about, yeah, these are incredibly dangerous uh, bugs that uh, can do a lot of damage. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think what we said before holds true where, like the fact that she, her, like her own body is just a normal body. It, it's it's a point of vulnerability. And so that's a nice, it's nice to have weaknesses like that. Otherwise it gets boring. Yeah. But, but yeah, like you, you don't quite think through, unless you're motivated, you don't quite think through the ramifications of being able to control what at this point, we don't even know if there's a limit, like just an arbitrary number of bugs um, and, and any kind of bug, including stinging and biting and, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And, and more importantly, Taylor doesn't think through it um, because like all throughout the, the arc so far, we've seen her have a very good command of her power. She 
knows how to use them pretty well. Um, but she still hasn't fully thought out or understood um, the actual consequences they can have. Um, and that, again, goes back to this idea that, you know, she's still young, she's still a kid, and she's not fully um, thought about the consequences of everything that she does. Yeah. Yeah, just to skip ahead minutely, we, we, we're going to see in a, in a little bit that she does a lot with it unconsciously, Yeah, actually. And, uh, and it, that obviously has consequences but it's like okay well what is it doing unconsciously um and 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 like how much of her control is is sort of intentional versus how much is she's giving it a vague direction to do things in and it's obliging her like we don't we don't know we don't really have answers to these questions at this point yeah yeah and how potentially dangerous that can be right right uh, it's mentioned in this scene that the Undersiders have a mysterious boss who brought them together and pays them to stay together. Um, so who knows where this is going to go? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's hinted earlier when she's like walking through the streets and trying to think of which one of them is the leader, um, but mm-hmm. can't really come to a conclusion because it doesn't seem like any of them would be the leader. So this is, yeah, just, just some foreshadowing thrown in here. Yeah. I'm really curious yeah. if you're wondering at home, I really want to know who this is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Scott. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So Taylor reasons based on all of this that she just she's going to accept their offer to join the team because otherwise she's not going to learn any useful information to pass on to the PRT. And uh, and so she's uh, she's going in. She's going in to join the Undersiders. Um, We'll just move on because I think we talked about that as we went through it, basically. Uh, so of course the first thing they do is like, all right, take off your mask, which she somehow managed not to entirely realize was, ne- <laughs> was necessary. Again, I, I kind of chalk this part up to like sleep deprivation and, and being a bit overwhelmed because it's, it's a really intense situation actually. So she kind of, you know, they give her some privacy. She takes off her costume, puts on some normal clothes and we see how crappy her self-esteem is. Um, Scott, how likely do you think it is that she's being fair to herself here? I mean, she, there's no way she's being fair to herself. Um, it, it's self-deprecation because for the first time in what is perceivably a while, she has people that are actually interested in who she is. Um, and there she's worried that she's kind of afraid at any moment that she could scare them off. And like, I think this is very important because um, she... Uh, is doing this to infiltrate their group. Like in her mind, what she's telling herself and and therefore telling us is she's breaking into this group because she wants to infiltrate it because she wants to bust all these supervillains. So the fact that she, for some reason cares about what they think um, is really telling about what her actual state of mind is right now. Right. Especially when, when uh, Tattletail, who we learned her real name is Lisa gives Taylor a hug when Taylor gives her name and that, Taylor like greatly appreciates this hug far beyond what is, you know, it, it's just kind of heartbreaking how much she appreciates the hug. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's so going to be, uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, this is the group you're trying to insinuate yourself with. <laughs> 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 so, uh, they go, they go back to the undersiders, uh, lair at this point. And I, d- I think there's some pretty cool, like, further scene setting as they're walking through Brockton Bay and you're seeing how dilapidated and run down it is and how everything is covered in graffiti and it's all rusted. And there's just this like abandoned warehouse, which is their, um, their lair. 
so I, th- I think that's interesting because in the first chapter we were we were saying that it was kind of like the every city uh this the, I, I mean the first arc this arc i feel makes it seem a bit more dystopian not not like ostentatiously but like it seems like a pretty bad city by this description do you agree or or am i overreaching with this yeah i don't know i mean i think every city has bad parts to it right i do agree that the bad parts to it are described in much more detail here to i mean it's it's really bad um but i i i I hesitate to say that like this is and and that the city is completely run because it's it seems like the boardwalk area and the downtown area are are in fairly good condition, right? It's just this one section of town, um, which I think every city kind of has that. Um, and maybe it's way worse here than others because there are super villains running around, but um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know more than I do. So. No, I, I was, I genuinely wasn't trying to inject any, any opinions <laughs> there. It, it's, it's more like just, I, I think you're exactly right. Actually. It's, it's probably just like, it's like any city except the bad part maybe is, is a worse bad part because it has, supervillain gangs um but it's like you said it still has a gentrified area yeah. yeah so they go to this to the hangout which is which is described in some detail and uh they're, they're just chatting taylor impresses brian by seeming humble and eager to learn i mean there's there's a lot of detail and nuance and back and forth in the character interactions here so scott anytime you want to jump in with a with a tidbit of a reaction, feel free. I just want to say this loft is really cool and I kind of want to live there Except yeah. I'd probably make them clean up. You know what? It's, it's funny. Cause when I read this part, do you remember the original Ninja Turtles movie? The, yes, like the first absolutely. one from the eight. Remember when they like have that warehouse where all the, like the ruffian kids hang out where like, <laughs> for some reason I just thought of it like that, which I know oh, it's man. not. Um, cause that that's was funny. so freaking eighties and ridiculous, but yeah. that's just like the thought of like, just, just, maybe not it looks exactly like that but like the feel of it like this is a place where like kids are allowed to do whatever they want without supervision um so it's going to be kind of dirty there's going to be like probably like video games everywhere and and just like people doing whatever they want um and so i had a very clear image of that in my head yeah i mean as a as a former teenager it sounds like heaven <laughs> um yeah but I do, I do appreciate how Taylor specifically calls out that there is no adult supervision here because, again, she she hates authority. She hates um, any kind of authority figure. So that, yeah, the fact is, that she appreciates that is is noted. Yes, right. It's it's a haven specifically because it's free from authority. Exactly. So in the course of the discussions, she learns what Tattletail's power actually is, and it's described as superpowered intuition which fills in the gaps in her knowledge. And obviously this is a huge risk to Taylor because she's trying to infiltrate the group. And uh, it's a little bit risky to have somebody around who just sort of knows things she shouldn't know. Um, Yeah. She's, she's being really dumb here, Matt. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and yeah, sorry, go ahead. It's, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, speaking of, I mean, I I think we're going to have plenty of opportunity to talk about, tattletale's power and powers like hers um but uh, i just want to say like this is a particularly weak seeming power because not only like it has no physical manifestation at all you know even even marvel telepaths can usually like shoot a psychic blast or or control someone's body or something but as far as as far as we know 
Tattletale just has this, she's just like a normal person, except she kind of knows things she shouldn't know. So it's, it's a, a cool example of, of a really weak seeming power in this world. Um, but uh, obviously we're going to see whether that's true or not. Yeah. I like how nebulous it is. It kind of adds some mystery and suspense to it, especially since uh, Taylor is continuing to act without really thinking and <laughs> really rashly. Um, and, and I wanted to bring that up just cause I remember last week you talked to me about how you thought her jumping into battle um, seemed like so surprising. And to me, it just kind of, this how she's acting all throughout this arc reinforces that that she's like she's she's acting quickly she thinks she's thinking things out but i don't think she is because she's just gotten herself in this really bad situation um and now she's kind of stuck in it right um yeah and you know it's just dumb like (laughs) she's she's in trouble yeah her, her approach tends to be that if she's in a bad situation she'll take a big risk which may make the situation worse in order to try to get out of the bad situation yeah Um, if that makes sense i think we see some manifestations of that so kind of abruptly and out of nowhere taylor is then attacked by a pack of dogs at the end of this chapter like in the middle of their loft which is shocking and surprising and of course you turn the page because you don't know what's going to happen there yeah exactly um so what we find out happened, of course, in 2.8 is that Bitch has come back because she, I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but she wasn't with the group when they arrived. And this was because she uh, didn't want Taylor to join. She she had voted against Taylor joining. So, so she's kind of mad that Taylor is back in the loft and that Taylor is now part of the team. So she's arrived. She's sicked her dogs in their normal non-superpower form on Taylor and they're sort of cornering her against the wall and being pretty vicious, like, like actually biting her and drawing blood. And it's, it's a, it's a cool, like very chaotic and intensely written scene with Brian shouting for, for bitch to call up the dogs. And, and she, she isn't doing it for quite some time. And then finally Brian punches bitch in the face and that causes her to call off the dogs. Um, and Taylor is, you know, the the other two heroes, Regent and Tattletale, kind of help Taylor up. And she realizes that this time there's no reason she can think of that she shouldn't retaliate, you know. And, and she's obviously still in the frame of mind that she just was, you know, an hour or so ago when when she was cornered by these bullies and, and, and harassed. Um, and we see that she's been unconsciously gathering a huge number of bugs that are now waiting outside the windows. So that's an interesting little tidbit about her power there. So she brings them flowing into the room and then just charges bitch and starts beating the crap out of her and knocks her down and starts kicking her in the face and the ribs, um, which is pretty vicious. Uh, any, any comments at this point? Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to talk about all this at once um, because yeah, okay. I just, I love the scene. I think no matter what happens in the rest of this, a book i think this right here shows wild bow's skill as a writer um it's just so well constructed and the fact that you know this is very very intentionally calling back to the confrontation she had with emma just a few hours earlier i mean even even in physical setup right because um in both taylor finds herself suddenly surrounded by the underlings 
of of the person in charge, whether it be Emma or Bitch. Um, they're there merely to hurt her. Um, I think Bitch actually specifically says, you know, I gave them the command to hurt, not kill. Um, so, like, it's literally just people exerting their power on her for no intention other than to cause her pain. Um, and that is, like it's it's just so well constructed that like you can see this connection this through line between these two things and it ties this theme of bullying to how we're going to tell this story of bullying through superheroes and supervillains and superpowers um and i just i love that i love the detail in that it's just so well done yeah and and that specifically she she can't she can't be she can't be a superpowered person in the first context so she just has to eat it whereas in this context she's She's able to be her her super self, and, and right. she so she uses her power. Although interestingly, doesn't attack bitch with the bugs. She just she just uses the bugs as a screen to keep the dogs at bay while she just beats the crap out of bitch with her hands and feet. Yeah, and there's something kind of scary here, right? I mean, we know Taylor's father has anger issues. Um, we know that she's had this pent up frustration and anger for a while that she just hasn't been able to unleash and we're seeing it all unleashed at once um and that this has got to be something to taylor that just feels so freeing to her that she finally gets to do this that she finally gets to retaliate against these people that have been hurting her and it's it's kind of scary i mean like that that can be very intoxicating to feel this freedom yeah. You can use this power. She has power. There's no repercussion for her power. Um, we don't even see her really get punished by anything she does. In fact, um, Brian kind of lets her out of the hook and says, you deserved everything that you got, Rachel. So um, this is very tempting for her. Yeah. 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 So so Brian Brian basically breaks up the fight with his power, uh, which, which we see is some kind of amorphous cloud of, of absolute darkness and sensory deprivation that descends over over them as they're fighting and it confuses Taylor enough that she backs off and, uh, and, and kind of, then, then she gets really mad and she tries to leave. Um, and, and basically says that she feels, she feels rejected and, and that causes her to understand that she actually wanted to be accepted by these guys, which we kind of knew <laughs> at this point yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because of the hug mainly, but, but now she's like kind of feels really crestfallen and, and beat down about it. Um, and of course, um, of course, at that point, Brian slash Gru convinces her um, to come back. Does that happen in the next chapter? Or is no, it's this? it's at the end of this one. Yeah, so he, um, he he yeah he convinces her to come back, which I think is an easy sell because as as we pointed out, she's actually pretty desperate for this type of human companionship, and she also wants to bang him. Yes, but no, I I. I Again, this this parallels with the the scene before where the, uh, Mr. Gladly, the teacher, saw her saw her in this situation and and backed off or and just walked away. Um, Brian instead punches bitch in the face. Brian intervenes. Brian sticks up for her. Brian supports her. So of course she's going to go back with him. Like of course she's going to reach out to this person who finally was there for her. It just it's so logical and makes so much sense based on everything we've known about her character. Um, and that's just it's just so it's so well done man i really like this Uh, this chapter is just awesome yeah it's it's a perfect construction it really is i don't know the word for this um i don't know if there is a word but but it it feels like there should be a word for this technique um if if there's not then we'll have to make one up (laughs) um 
Wild Boism. Well, yeah, it's it's well. There's too many. There's too many good things he does <laughs> for us to Wild, wild Boism A, and then we'll just have. All right, we'll a keep through, a running tally. We're gonna need yeah. a glossary. Yeah, we'll we'll trust our listeners to take care of this for us. Um, just one one note about her anger to loop back around for a second before we move forward. Um, is that like she? At least to me, like the way she's written her her outburst and her attack on rachel seems very calculated and like even though it's sort of clear that she is overwhelmed with like fury while she's doing this in in her mind it's like it's like justified like she's she's thinking through how like where best to kick her to cause damage and and to make sure she can't retaliate like she's sort of very coldly thinking through the violence of it. So it's not just like a blind fury where she's lashing out. It's, it's, I, I think that's an interesting thing to note that she's even in, even when she's having like a rage, she's, it's like a cold, efficient rage. And, uh, yeah, at least that's how I read it. No, that's a really good point. Uh, that's not something I had really thought about before, but as soon as you mentioned, I'm like, yeah, I mean, she never really loses control. I mean, just, just by the fact that she doesn't actually sick her bugs on a bitch shows that she didn't really ever lose complete control. Like literally she just uses her powers as a defensive thing to keep the dogs away from her and then just is physically beating her. Um, so yeah, she definitely is not like fully out of, out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, she comes back upstairs and, uh, next chapter 2.9, uh, we see that, bitch remains cowed from her attack and regent actually now seems to respect her a bit while he was being like pretty dismissive toward her prior to this and just kind of didn't seem to care that she was there one way or the other now he actually is kind of talking to her and and treating her better and uh, you can't help but interpret this as like him approving of her showing her violent side (laughs) yeah let's remember that these are bad guys or villains at least criminals yeah so so we get a scene of Brian stitching up both Rachel and Taylor of their, of their injuries that they just gave each other as they're kind of sitting side by side. And, uh, you know, that's, that's fun to me because how many times does somebody get stitches in a Marvel or DC movie ever? Yeah. Um, and we were talking about this earlier, but I really like that level of detail because like so much in these superhero movies where people's powers aren't like super strong strong skin or like super strength they just have a very specific power but yet they like get punched by a super strong guy or thrown into a wall or something like that and there's like no repercussions for them so the fact that like we're reinforcing that hey these guys have a very specific skill set and they're also just human beings that when you punch them they bleed yeah if you kick them in the ear (laughs) (laughs) their ear might kind of start to tear off a little bit so yeah, be, be a little bit careful there, Taylor. Um, so keeping a tab on the superpowers as we're learning about them, we learned that uh, Regent can get it, like, quote, get into people's nervous systems. And he, he demonstrates that by making Brian trip and spasm and fall down as he's walking across the room, uh, which, of course, leads Brian to tackle him playfully. And we just get more delightful characterization and, and banter uh and mm-hmm. also this is that this is that part where brian admits that he edited his wikipedia or not wikipedia but you know parahuman wikipedia to to describe his power as darkness generation even though that's a pretty incomplete and misleading description of what it does because it's more like as taylor described it's like a complete sensory deprivation field and another thing that we find out from him is that he 
doesn't seem to see the darkness like he he can just see through it as if it's not there and everyone else is staggering around blind so yeah that has uh, cool uses i think and i think one of the most important details in here that's so like minorly thrown in there is the fact that tattletale um can tell the full extent of what his powers do stuff that he didn't even know he had she like her power can tell her that and in this world of um people using powers so secretively and like holding back what their full potential is that seems very important and very powerful um and it's just kind of thrown out there kind of cleverly to where you might not even pick up on it yeah yeah and and that's that's astute to pick up on because uh i mean we're, we're at this point we're trying to put together like where did these undersiders come from why is it that arms master knows nothing about them why is it that their their wikipedia entries are, are mostly blank um and elements like okay well one of them just magically seems to know things um like for example you know puts into better context the fact that in the previous arc uh they 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 seem to know that lung was coming after them you have to assume that this was factored in there somehow yeah and i think we know the all these guys power sets now right and besides uh bitch which is like i hate having to say her name over and over again it's really weird but anyway <laughs> say hellhound like yeah uh, let's like, say let's like the that. good guys yeah i'll yeah. say hellhound uh, anyway um their powers on the surface like don't seem that powerful right i mean like like the I think Taylor even mentions it once when she learns about regents making people fall down power. And she's like, what? That doesn't seem very useful. Um, so I, I really like that there's this team of people that on the surface, maybe they don't have the most useful quote unquote powers. But um, once you start delving into the detail and the depths of what they can do, you can see how actually powerful it can get. And I'm assuming that's going to happen, you know, going forward. Yeah. You almost have to ask if, when wild Bo was kind of conjuring up th- the way to do this, he took some of the more weak seeming powers to give to his, his uh, I- intro team that he's, that he's introducing us to here so that mm-hmm. we could see the unusualness of them because really each of these is very different from anything we've ever seen in, in yeah, like Marvel yeah, and DC, I, I think because Marvel and DC is almost always like super strength durability and, some kind of beam and then maybe <laughs> maybe regeneration and maybe psychic mumble mumble um and i mean i'm i'm maybe being a little bit unfair but like you know controlling a huge cloud of bugs is like w- once you hear about it it's like wow that would be awesome that would be an awesome power why is that not a why is that not a popular you know dc hero i think there may be a dc hero who does that but i don't think they're popular so probably not yeah, yeah. And I love how this chapter ends with Taylor calling her dad to tell her to tell him that she's going to be spending the night with these guys. And uh, as she's talking, she sees a handgun on the table and the chapter ends. They seem like good people. I lied. I just love that touch. Yeah. Like, look, the, it's so clever here because like we've spent the entirety of this arc almost leading up to her moment of finally she's found people she can get along with uh, hellhound excluded but um and finally people that like accept her and seem to like her and then like there's that bam juxt- juxtaposition right at the end that say hey remember the- these are criminals like these people are nice to you yeah um but 
they do things that are opposite of the things you said you wanted to do. Um, and it's just, it's just perfect. It's perfectly done. Like, I love how it drops like that. And you're right that finishing on that quote, um, just wonderful. Um, yeah. Leaves a nice pit in your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. You're in over so, your yeah. head. You're in over your head, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Just stop making decisions and hold on for a minute. So that's, that's the end of the Taylor, the Taylor part. Um, I guess we can we can move ahead to the interlude chapter and then slew back around if we feel like it. Yeah, yeah. The the interlude chapter is Victoria, um, whose superhero name is Glory Girl, and we haven't seen her at all yet at this point. We haven't even heard her name mentioned, I don't think. Uh, but she's a more kind of standard superhero. She has the power of flight and super strength, and an added ability to sort of project an aura that makes people around her feel in awe of her. And she's chasing down this unpowered skinhead thug and just kind of like toying with him, like like a really embarrassing cat and mouse game where she's just like zipping past him and hitting him and like throwing him. And he's just like a normal person. So he's getting horribly maimed. And at one point she he like says something rude. So she just like throws him what's described as like 20 yards or something. Yeah. And where he like hits a dumpster. She kicks um, a dumpster at him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Scott, here we meet our first hero with a more Superman-like power set. Um, but as a person, she's not really anything like Superman. What, what do you, what do you feel about this? Yeah. So again, going into the theme of juxtaposition, um, this entire arc, we've seen people who are bad guys and had them seem kind of not that bad. Um, and now here at the end, in this interlude, we see a person who's supposed to be good guy, um, and seems kind of bad. So that's really clever juxtaposition. It's a really smart way of ending this whole thing up. Um, I think this is, you know, reinforcing this whole um, authority might not be so cut and dry good type of thing, because um, this person is seems pretty pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, seems to be abusing her authority a bit. Absolutely, yeah. She She ends up calling her adoptive sister, Amy, and begs her to use her healing powers on the thug. So her, her adoptive sister apparently has healing powers uh, because explicitly because Victoria doesn't want to get in trouble. It's not like she's like afraid that she's hurt him or killed no, him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and well, I think like, the, yeah. the smart thing here is that they made this be a white supremacist who was part of a group that beat the shit out of a black girl. So like yeah. it, it, and I think that's intentional. It's very clearly what this guy did was wrong. There's not any kind of moral um, gray area on that. Like what he did was wrong, but that doesn't mean that she gets to just act. Go punisher. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like like she is part of a system and has to abide by the rules and laws of the system, and she seems completely unwilling to do that. She's using her powers to get away, and and uh, her sister's powers to circumvent the rules of the system to do what she wants yeah and and somehow her sister manages or, or the combination of victoria and her sister manage to be even more screwed up when they're together because they eventually kind of get the thug to, to give them information they want because as she's healing him she's like also kind of messing with his body and causing like weird numbness and and weird sensations and telling him that that he's going to be impotent because of like what she's doing yeah um and so he ends up giving them an info dump about the current state of the cape scene in brockton bay 
including a lot of names and details that I'm not even going to list here. Um, but the upshot is that taking Lung out of the picture has actually badly messed up the balance of power. And now the, skinhead, the skinhead gang that he's part of called Empire 88 is making a, a play for power. So that's, uh, that's pretty much how it ends. Yeah. So first of all, I think it was interesting. What's the name of the, her sister? Uh, the healer girl, I can't remember. Amy. Amy, Amy. What's her superpower name? Uh, I'm not sure if they tell you, but I'm, I, I think can they tell do. you. It's, they do. It's, panacea, it's panacea. Okay, yeah, they, she has her use it, yeah. So I think it is very interesting that she comes off as the good one, right? Like, she comes in, she's annoyed. It's like, you went too far. She seems to be one that's, like, arguing for following this, following the letter of the law and doing what you're supposed to. But by the end of it, she's kind of just as bad as he is, or as her sister is. Um, and yeah. I thought that was really surprising and interesting. Um, and yeah, then, like, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go she, ahead. I was just gonna say she she messes with his head while while right. while Glory Girl messes with his body, and that's even the last line that that uh, Glory Girl says is like, "Oh, oh, Amy, you said you weren't gonna mess with people's heads, or something like something along those lines." Ha 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 ha! Yeah, <laughs> we cannot be stopped. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We're we're monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I I also appreciate the power vacuum thing because obviously I. I know I'm getting into an epic story here. Um, and this is kind of setting the stage for like, look, the instigating factor of everything that's going to happen for the next 1 million words um, mm-hmm. is Taylor taking out this lung guy. So um, I think that you get the feeling this kind of opens you up to the, the scope of everything that's going to be happening and kind of the grandness of this is the incident, the, the initial incident and it's going to kind of snowball from here. So yeah, I thought that was would- cool. Is this the end of Act One, moving into Act Two of a, of a five act structure? Uh, it, could, it could be. Um, it's hard I to it's hard to label that without reading the other yeah, four that's acts. True. Yeah, yeah, um, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, 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 that's probably a little bit premature considering how few words we actually are into this. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is it feels like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, it's like the stages are set, pieces are moving. I just quoted yeah. Lord of the Rings without even yeah. realizing it. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, huh, that felt really organic. Um, yeah, so that's that's arc two insinuation, and things are things are ramping up. It's it's great. I'm 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 actually really enjoying this because I never actually did a, a full read a, a full second read through. So this is my first like full read through where I'm where I'm seeing all of the things that were put in place ahead of time and and understanding them in context and just noticing a lot more and I think probably paying better attention. One funny thing that I've noticed is that when I started reading Worm the first time, I don't think I had very high expectations because I had some implicit bias about web fiction. Like, Oh, it's, it's web fiction. It's not, (laughs) it's not published by a publisher. So it's, it's not really serious and not having like having low expectations led me to not, look as hard as I should have been looking. And now that I know what, what I'm reading, I can appreciate it way more deeply and um, makes me, you know, obviously reconsider, you know, I, I, I've, I've long realized that that was a stupid bias, but this is, um, this reread especially is reinforcing that because I'm seeing how completely wrong I was. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I, I really like reading things this way too. I don't really get to do this very often. Um, you know, I read so many things and you're just kind of reading it, um, 
in a relaxed manner. Like I get to sit down with this thing and really, really dive into it. And it's really fun. I'm really enjoying this. Um, it helps that the work is good too. So, right. Yeah. So, uh, unless you had any other comments about this arc, I think that wraps it, wraps us up for this week. Yeah, no, that was, that was it for me. I like this one a lot. I like this one better than the first one. So we're, we're, we're scaling upwards. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion and hearing Scott's reactions. Uh, as always, we appreciate your feedback. We're always trying to improve. So let us know if you have any advice on Twitter, Reddit, as a comment on our page, uh, dailyplanetfilms.com, via email, in our Facebook group, any of these places we're paying attention. We will, we will read your feedback. We'll respond to you. We will even mention, we'll read it in the, in the, um, in the podcast if if it's uh if it's actionable yeah if you bring up some good points that we didn't consider or um just we want to reinforce some stuff that you said we will talk about it as you saw today um we want this to kind of be as interactive as possible so uh, that requires you guys so please interact it's fun yeah yeah we also have a patreon page patreon.com slash daily planet films d-a-l-y as as always Scott's name. If That's you had to me. Pick that up. <laughs> um, and if you donate to us, uh, that will enable us to do more with this podcast series. We have some ideas regarding, for example, soliciting like an artwork contest or something. They're very premature ideas, but you know, if we had some funding, we could definitely do some do some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. While while you're on Patreon, don't forget to donate to Wildbo because he does this for a living, and I love Twig, and <laughs> and I donate so that he will keep writing Twig. I don't know what that is, but okay. Yeah, there's stick as Scott has referred to it as. Um, so, uh, Scott, where can you be found on the internet? Uh, I am on Twitter uh, at uh, ScottDaily85. Like it's D-A-L-Y, like I said. I almost forgot my Twitter handle right there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of a conversation. My brain's not working as well as it did. Um, yeah. And then also DailyPlanetFilms.com. Uh, I just wrote a review about Kong Skull Island the other day. Um, and we released a podcast today, well, today as I'm recording this, um, we do another weekly movie podcast, and we talked about the the film Logan. So if you like superhero stuff, as you probably do if you're reading this, um, you can listen to that one. Yeah. And I am on Twitter at More Than a Mail, which is written somewhere on the page you're looking at, probably, uh, but can't be spelled. And I write for DailyPlanetFilms.com as well. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and would like to listen to some of our other podcast episodes, um, I would recommend that you perhaps start with our Kryptonian Collection episodes. The Kryptonian Collection is a contest format debate show where contestants argue in favor of their favorite movie and the rotating Council of L votes on whether the proposed film will be entered into the Vaunted Collection. Yeah. So that's all for today. Yeah, that's, that's a really cool podcast. Listen to that one for sure. Those are fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's those are probably our our most uh, fun and, and interactive, and uh, and it's a continuing series. So, uh, drop us a line if you would like to compete. Ooh, good. I yeah. like it. Yeah, that's all for today, and we will see you all next week. Bye bye.